ವಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಸೊ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಸ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ದ ಫೋರ್ತ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ದ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಟೈಮ್ ವಿ ಸಾ ದಿಸ್ ವರ್ಸ್ which is somewhat controversial especially in today's political and social climate uh, because of the mention of the four castes there chaturvanyam maya srishtam guna karma vibhagasha tasya kartaram api maang vidhya kartaram abhyayam um so as far as caste is concerned um, let me just uh, yes last time we discussed it i'll just summarize what is vedanta's perspective on caste so the verse means that the four castes were created by me according to differences in guna which is uh, aptitude or um, uh, uh, the, the nature of the person and uh, karma occupation of the person and although i am the creator of this social order tasya kartaram api mam me krishna no me to be not the doer akartaram having done all this i'm still not the doer and i'm abhyayam unchanged unaffected by karma that is actually the point he wants to make here because it, the whole issue is with arjuna's um uh, you know question whether he should do this karma before him the action which he is facing whether he should perform it or not that's the whole issue but uh, just because this topic has come up so we discussed the issue of caste last time and the summary of the discussion is this one can think of caste in three ways one is Uh, by nature the person's nature um, by the second one is by a person's occupation what people do in life and the third one is by birth which family they are born into so in sanskrit guna guna means qualities or nature karma karma means here occupation um, and then jati jati here means uh, birth by birth notice krishna here mentions in the verse guna and karma nature of the person and the occupation of the person does not mention jati at all krishna never mentions that uh, you belong to the caste you are born into he does not include that at all so the vedantic understanding of caste does not include um, jati which means the the family you are born into and that makes all the difference the whole point here is um, spiritual development um, not which kind which caste one is born into so by quality by guna by the nature of the person what is meant here is uh, the balance of the three gunas sattva rajas and tamas so there are some people who are by nature um, uh, introverted intellectual um, artistic by temperament may be creative um, uh, easily interested in uh, you know higher philosophical things spiritual matters and so on uh, they have a preponderance of sattva guna they are mostly sattvic people generally uh, introverted generally serene um, sensitive uh, intelligent creative so so a life of the mind appeals to them uh, and they have of course everybody's constitution is composed of the three gunas sattva rajas and tamas but for these people uh, their um, the the preponderance is of sattva so such people are called guna brahmana brahmins by quality by by the inner constitution and this is the most important thing the inner constitution is brahmanical a person could be born in any family 
could be born uh, in India or outside the fold of Hinduism, wherever a person is of this constitution, uh, then the person is by constitution a Brahmin. Though a person may be born in a Shudra family or completely non-Hindu family outside, maybe not even religious, but by, by constitution this person is uh, a Brahmin. Uh, then there can be a person whose constitution, inner constitution is um, dynamic, a person of action, a doer, not so much a thinker. So Rajas predominates, but there is Sattva and Tamas. But Rajas predominates, the quality of action and dynamism. So a person might be ambitious and out to um, you know, do things, achieve things in the world, get things done. You, know, you call it a mover and a shaker in this uh, country. So uh, such a person is by quality a Kshatriya. Uh, leadership comes easily to such a person. Could be a military person, could be a, in the police or could be in, in the corporate sector, wherever. A kind of leadership, a doer, an achiever. Basically Rajasik in nature, but with Sattva. Now if the Sattva is less and Tamas predominates and still the person is Rajasik, a person by nature becomes accumulative, you know, would like to get rich and uh, have a lot of property and the more you have, the more, the, more this, the more one has, the more this person feels better. So this accumulative tendency is by, by constitution, by nature, this person is Vaishya, Guna Vaishya. And if none of these are there, if Tamas predominates and uh, Rajas and Sattva are less, the person is by nature mechanical, um, given to, maybe easily given to indolence or um, capable of mechanical work. Um, so th this person is by nature a Shudra, a Guna Shudra. So by qualities you have these uh, four, four castes. By quality, by, by inner constitution. By inner constitution of the Gunas, a Brahmin, by inner constitution of the Gunas, a Kshatriya or a Vaishya or a Shudra. And the same thing, you can see the forecasts from an entirely different perspective, depending on occupation. So it does not matter what the quality of the person is. Another way of looking at caste is just by occupation, division of labor. And this is also very valid. You see it in every society. Just as the constitution of the person, by constitution you see Brahmins, Kshatriyas, uh, Vaishyas and Shudra castes in um, every society of the world, at every time in history, just human nature. The, by occupation also you see them in every society, in um, uh, every time of human history. There are those who by occupation are teachers, are, uh, are philosophers, um, are sages, um, professors, scientists, writers. Um, so the intellectual class and that uh, is by occupation Brahmin. Could be, could be born into any kind of family. Could have different qualities also. Maybe by constitution, the person might be a doer, a mover and a shaker. But uh, just so that he has landed the job of being a professor in a, um, in a university. There you will find this person ends up being the head of the department and head of so many committees because this person basically um, likes getting things done, likes taking charge. Um, a purely Brahminical mind would dislike um, you know, administrative duties in the university. But this kind of person would be happy to be, you know, take charge of the university or something. Then they, a person could be, uh, by occupation of Aishya, a trader um, uh, in, the, in, the, in business, no matter what the inner constitution is. By nature, the person might be very sensitive, thinker, 
I've met some people, such people. Uh, you know, I I knew this person, one of a very rich person in India, head of one of the uh, biggest industrialist families, and he said to me, he confided to me once that all I ever wanted to do was to study mathematics. He was a, a, a student of a very famous uh, professor, S. N. Bose, in in uh, Calcutta, and uh, just because of his, his he was a you know, son of a very rich and powerful industrial family. So he was called back to take care of the business of the family. But he said, I, I always wanted to study mathematics. And then, so somebody by occupation could be, um, um, you know, an assembly line worker or, um, uh, you know, a janitor or something like that, a, a very, uh, you know, unskilled kind of job. Although by quality may be different. I mean, quite, quite something else entirely. So by occupation, there are these four um, classes. And then, what is predominant, you see in Hinduism and in India, actually by birth, and that is called Jati. In fact, in Indian language, uh, languages, in Sanskrit and Hindi and all Indian languages, Jati basically means caste. So why, why does Jati mean? Jati actually, uh, precisely if you see the etymology and the, the, what it means in Sanskrit, it just means birth. Jati means birth. But birth and caste have become so closely uh, entwined in our understanding in India. So that's what caste basically means in India. Notice Krishna has completely excluded this meaning of the caste. Uh, by birth you are Brahmin or Kshatriya or, or any of the numerous sub-castes, Krishna does not mention that at all. It's of no interest to him. Um, it's, he says the so that social order of caste by inner constitution, and by external occupation, that is found in all societies and that's what Krishna is referring to. I have created this social order. This is found in all societies, basically human nature and basically arrangement of society. Depending on your own nature and depending on the arrangement of society, there are um, inner constitutions, aptitudes and there are actually occupations in the world outside. So this is the understanding of caste. But in India, the whole problem is with caste by birth. And this also is also, let, let us be honest, this is also part of Hinduism. Because if not in Vedanta, if not in the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita, later on Smriti texts, they also freeze this system into place. Uh, they talk about uh, caste uh, by birth. And that has led to a lot of trouble, you know, uh, exploitation over the ages and, uh, and then the present political scenario where caste is almost equivalent to racism. Like what, how racism in, in the United States is looked, uh, is a term of abuse and a term in something to be uh, you know, fought against and corrected and overcome. So caste has become like that in India. Uh, so this is the point I wanted to make. Interesting about caste as aptitude and occupation. So notice, in our modern society, this is the this is one of the beauty, beauties of our uh, uh, modern social order, especially in the advanced countries of the world, where there is freedom. The one of the um, characteristics of freedom is, according to your choice, according to your aptitude, you uh, can pick up, you can do what you want in life. That's the whole idea of the modern economy and the modern education system. You study, you develop yourself, educate yourself. And then you have the freedom to do what you want in life. So, your aptitude, you pick your occupation. 
what you do in life. So you are no longer trapped into an occupation which is not according to your aptitude. You can move and change occupation. Peter Drucker, uh, the great management guru, he points out in his book, Management Challenges for the 21st Century, that for the first time, we have enormous choice. Imagine, up to the um, 19th century or so, the vast majority of humanity, they were stuck into the family they were born into. They were stuck into the occupation their forefathers followed. Most people in the world, unless you were a soldier, adventurer or a pirate or something uh, who moved from place to place, mostly people, he says, they were born in the same place, place, grew up in the same place, lived in the same place and died in the same place. Most people in the world, throughout human civilization, only few people migrated here and there. All that has changed now. He says in the, 20, in the 20th century, and he says more and more in the 21st century, you will see you are born in some place, you grow up in another place, you work in a third place, and you maybe retire and live in another place. You, um, you often marry outside your community. You eat the food and put on the dress of various cultures in the world. You change jobs, occupations, more than once in your lifetime. That's common now. It was not so common. I understand. I, I remember in India, our parents and grandparents, they mostly had one occupation. They would enter into a job and stay with their job. Even now it's there, but increasingly rare. People jump from job to job a lot. So this, what it means basically, Peter Drucker was pointing out, the importance of choice and of making wise decisions about your life. Earlier decisions were mostly made for us. Where you will live, what you will eat, whom you will marry, what job you will do. All these things were more or less fixed. You had no option really. Uh, but in this modern society, it gives free play to these two ideas of caste. That is, your inner constitution and according to that you choose and move around. Your, your, not only your job, your place of stay, uh, your education, everything. You have got a lot of choice now. All right. Um, just one more point about uh, reform. So, throughout the history of Hinduism, this caste has often been a problem and you will see great Hindu religious leaders have always tried to reform it, to make it uh, um, not oppressive, to remove its negative features. Gandhiji, for example, he, he struggled so hard against uh, you know, some of the worst excesses of the caste system, which is uh, like, like untouchability and so on. So, now of course, the uh, modern society is a great leveler. According to law, everybody is equal before society. That difference in... Notice, law does not say that you cannot follow your inner inclination. Law does not say that you cannot have the uh, occupation of your choice. Law just says that this difference, trying to pin down caste on the basis of birth, no, um, no decision should be made on that. It's legally unacceptable to discriminate on the basis of caste by birth. You see, it just says discriminate on the basis of caste, but what it means is caste by birth. And Krishna would fully agree. Krishna would totally agree with this. What else should I say? All right. Before I go on, has anybody a question in this regard? Um, so, somebody raised a hand. Uh, Krish Krishnamurti, yes. Uh, Namaste. Uh, I, I have this question. Uh, Sri Krishna just said in this verse, uh, know me to be the eternal non-doer. Uh, yes. However, in 
chapter 3 in verse 24 he also says that these worlds would perish if i did not perform any action yes uh, is, is there a way to reconcile absolutely absolutely this is the great secret of karma krishna is going to talk about it 18th verse if you want to jump it and take a take a sneak peek they call it sneak peek you can take a look at the 18th verse but that will we will not get to it today that's the, one of the most important verses of not only bhagavad gita fourth chapter but also bhagavad gita the solution is here to this question how is it that he is not the doer of any action and yet he is continuously doing so continuous activity intense activity is fully compatible with uh, the the total non doership of, of of non dualism of advaita vedanta he is going to say that is that is the great secret of action which he is going to impart here so yes we we'll look forward to that thank you maharaj i have a question about the title of the chapter i have uh, three or four of gitas yeah. and all of them have different for example uh, i have one with shankar bhashya it says called this gyan yoga yeah i think madhusudan saraswati is gita calls it brahma arpana yoga mm mm-hmm. and then then i have another one called the gyana karma sanyasa yoga yes i have the gyana karma this, sanyasa yeah so is this matter of choice people change the title yes or, that is true or is it a, um that is true the, these uh, things were added later on so this uh, salutation that in bhagavad gita which is considered to be an upanishad uh, where krishna teaches arjuna uh, and this chapter is called gyana karma sanyasa yoga in my book it's there these were added later on so i mentioned 18th verse as being one of the most important verses of fourth chapter and of the whole bhagavad gita another very important verse verse is 24th verse brahmaarpanam brahmahavi and that's why madhusudan saraswati uses that to indicate the whole chapter brahmaarpana yoga so yeah that's right now let us go ahead verse number 14 namam karmani limpanti name karma phale spriha iti mam yo bhijanati karmabhirna sabadhyate actions do not touch me nor have i any desire for their fruit he who knows me thus is not bound by actions here krishna is uh, say, is saying to arjuna that i perform actions you ha- he has already said that in earlier chapters and yet i am completely untouched by action and by the results of action so when we perform action we are bothered first by the action itself karma it creates tension it creates uneasiness uh, it creates exhaustion um worry anxiety all of it the work itself stress and strain whatever work we do so we are affected by the work karma and we are affected by the results of the work these works will have consequences so um we do things wanting certain things i i work i will get money by this i will get promotion by this i will get a degree i study i'll get a degree some result uh, i'll earn wealth i'll be knowledgeable um, i'll marry have children so and i'll i'll perform these rituals and go to heaven so all of these are results karma phala and why do we uh, do work because we want those results 
that is called spriha. The word used here is spriha. Spriha means thirst. So, um, there is a thirst for the results of karma. And why do we want the results of karma? Because we feel unfulfilled. We think by these, getting these things, adding these things to ourselves, um, getting uh, money, uh, getting people, maybe husband, wife, children, grandchildren, we will be fulfilled. And, um, get, you know, accumulating property, uh, houses, land, cars, gadgets, we will be fulfilled. Or, uh, I don't want all of that. I, I am thirsty for knowledge. Alright, so accumulate more books and more knowledge and I'll be fulfilled. More Vedanta books, more Vedanta classes. Earlier, I used to take notes and uh, you know, notebooks, we'd have lots of notebooks. And then they invented the photocopier. So it, the people started photocopying everything, books. And now there is uh, this uh, recorders and all you have uh, full of uh, recordings of talks and lectures. I am being fulfilled by more and more and more. None of it is true. It's a, like a bottomless pit. Whether you pour money into it, people into it, possessions into it, knowledge into it, none of it will work. But we are, we are propelled by these desires. And we have just the opposite. The other kind of karma, when I'm doing something wrong and the result will be suffering, I don't want that. I'm scared of those results. So, uh, hungry, thirsty for certain results of work, certain consequences and alarmed and scared about um, other consequences. So this is our usual state. We are affected by the work itself and we are affected by the uh, results uh, of that work. Um, the work itself, when I want something but the work itself is hard and I'm so it's stressful for me but I really want the results of this, this work. And sometimes the opposite. The action itself is very pleasurable. I know it's bad for me. Maybe I have diabetes. I should not eat these sweets. It's bad for me. But the action itself is pleasurable. So I grab the sweets and stuff it into my mouth. But I'm afraid of the consequences. So both of them affect us. And Sri Krishna says, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me at all. None of, I do so much action. Look, I am the creator of the entire social order. Your entire human society, civilization, everywhere at all times, for all time. What, what you find in society, I am the creator. He just said this on the 13th verse. And then he says, even while doing all this work, much more than you are being asked to do over Juna, even while doing all this work, I am not affected by the work, nor am I affected by the results of that work. How? Uh, he says, so because I am not this person you think I am. I am this pure being, existence, consciousness, bliss. You see, what is this thing that I am? We come across, you know, existing things. But Krishna is being itself, Sat. What's the relationship between existing things? The things in the world we come across, they have limited existence. Limited existence means all the people and the objects and everything. From a mosquito up to a, a star system, maybe a star. Uh, it has a beginning, exists and it dies, is destroyed. It could be a matter of a day, it could be a billion years. So everything in the universe has limited existence. And located in some place, not everywhere. So it's a limited existence. But what is Sat, what is Krishna? He says, I am pure being. I am existence itself, not a thing which exists. 
Therefore, I am an unlimited existence. Unlimited existence means not an existence which begins, not an existence which ends, not an existence located in one place. So, this unlimited existence, not located in time, not located in place. What is the relationship between unlimited existence which Krishna is and all these limited existences which you see all around you, look around your room and look at your own body, these are all limited existences. What is the relationship? The relationship is just like a movie and the, the screen. So the screen is this, imagine, it's that unlimited existence. And every character and action and object you see in the movie, the hero and the villain and the road and the car chase, uh, cars, all of that you see in the movie, they are the limited existences. What is the relationship? It is the screen alone which appears as a variety of limited existences. Notice, all the limited existences in the movie, they pop in and out of existence. But what is constant? Screen. What is it that you see? Pictures, the movie, not the screen. Though actually if you think carefully, you are seeing the screen. Even when you think you are just seeing the movie. You are seeing nothing but the screen. So, the relationship is that unlimited being who Krishna knows, I am that. That unlimited being gives lends existence to all these limited beings. That unlimited being is the screen in which the movie of these limited existences plays out. That unlimited being, Krishna, is unaffected by the activities of these limited beings. Now do you understand why I, Krishna, the unlimited being, is not affected by the activity of this little body of Krishna? Nor by Krishna who is actually Vishnu, the creator of the entire universe. That also does not affect me. Because that's all part of the movie. The movie does not affect the screen. I am the screen. And I am also the movie. In one sense the screen is also the movie. Because the movie is nothing other than the screen. So I am also this mo- you know, you, the movie of the universe. And I am also all activities. And how am I the doer of all activities? In one sense... The screen is the doer of all activities in the movie. How? Is the screen driving a police car and chasing the uh, criminal and the getaway vehicle? So, pardon my examples. I I actually, because I lived for one year in Hollywood, I actually saw saw some of that happening. And you could never believe, I mean, in our uh, ashram, which is a prime site for you know, like cinema and TV and film shooting. One day there was gunfire and I rushed outside and I saw this car swerve into our parking lot of the ashram. And this lady was standing with a long overcoat and she whipped out a gun and fired several times. I was like, my jaw dropped, what's going on here? It's only when the car backed out and again came back and again the lady fired, then I realized, okay, they're shooting a movie. Now, all the things in the movie are actually being done by the screen in one sense. Because every existence of the screen dip, or the movie depends on the screen. It is nothing other than the screen appearing in these ways. And yet the, the screen is completely unaffected by all the activities. Now do you see how Sat, pure being, is in one sense the doer of all the activities. To the extent that they are real. They are not real. And in, the, in another sense you see it is completely unaffected by the, all the activities. Do you see? Another example I will give you. Your dream. What happens in a dream? You, the dreamer, you fall asleep. First of all, you forget yourself. 
that you are on your bed and sleeping. That is forgotten. And now you, the dreamer, having forgotten your own existence as the sleeping person who is dreaming, now you start dreaming a world. What is that world you dream? People and earth and sky and places. It's a movie you're playing on the screen of the dreaming mind. And even this would not be a problem. The problem starts when in the movie, you, you the dreamer, you introduce yourself. You become a character in the dream. Then you have good dream, bad dream and many activities you do in the dream. So in one sense, you are the doer of all the activities in the dream. Because who else is the doer? Because that's all the only, only one there is you. You are there yourself and everyone else in the dream is also you, the dreamer. And yet, when you wake up, you are not affected by anything from the dream. Even when you are sleeping, even then all the karma done in the dream does not really affect you. Though it will affect the characters in the dream. So this is why Krishna is saying, I am Sat. And all existing things are appearances in me. Therefore, I am not affected, though I am the doer of everything. Another way, look at it as Chit, as consciousness. Chit is pure consciousness, unlimited consciousness. What are we aware of? Limited conscious events. We call them thoughts, perceptions. Thoughts include memories, ideas, desires, um, um, understanding, uh, ego. All of these are thoughts. Perception is seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, all kinds of sensations. All of these what are what we call conscious events. But they are so limited. They flicker in and out of existence. Like fireflies in the darkness. So I was... Um, few weeks ago, few, um, a couple of months ago, I was walking in the evening at uh, in the Central Park. Suddenly, entire lawn, I mean, those huge, vast green fields, mass of twinkling lights, fireflies <laughs> in the dark. And it's apparently seasonal because now you can't see them. Our conscious experiences are like fireflies in the mind. In the mind. Little see flashes of uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions, perceptions coming in and going, fleeting all the time. But the the each perception, each thought is different from the other one. In the background is awareness, and Krishna says, "I am that unlimited awareness, Chit." What is the relationship between that unlimited awareness and all these uh, limited awarenesses, this limited uh, consciousness? It is. That unlimited awareness alone, reflected in the movements of the mind, appears as our limited awareness. Our limited thoughts, feelings. Thoughts, feelings, emotions come and go. Awareness does not come and go. Awareness means consciousness. So I am that unlimited consciousness, not affected by the appearance and playing and the disappearance of these limited thoughts, feelings, perceptions. Look at it in another way. Ananda. I am talking about Satchidananda. Krishna is saying I am Satchidananda. So Ananda, unlimited bliss, that itself appears, call it value, let's call it value, thing to be valued. That itself appears as all the things we value in the world. We value money, we value people, we value experiences, we value art and science and 
objects and places and you know nature yet none of these things have any value if you say what are you saying swami no entirety of value is in consciousness you the being consciousness that is the locus of value even someone who's so completely atheistic i, I just heard it from um, sam harris on one of the talks he said consciousness is the carrier of value think about it whatever we value think of uh, we we think of it as important worthwhile desirable it is all because you are a conscious being otherwise there is nothing it's just a mass of matter and energy moving in space it's because of consciousness consciousness is the locus of value not knowing this we find we the consciousness we the being we so we find consciousness we find value in the world outside it is value borrowed from consciousness and given to things which makes things desirable it is consciousness chaitanya is borrowed from um, that unlimited consciousness and appears in limited firefly like perceptions and thoughts it is existence borrowed from sat which appears as the existence of existing things so krishna says i am unlimited existence i am unlimited consciousness and i am unlimited value which is called ananda therefore because i am unlimited value i don't want anything in the world therefore i can work without any desire ups and downs in the world cannot affect me at all because i am pure awareness this conscious experiences anxiety stress pleasure even if they come done nothing to me because i am the consciousness in which they appear and disappear i am not affected just like the movie screen is not affected by the happenings in the movie i am sat i am not affected by the birth and death of bodies beginning and end of actions because they all they depend on me their existence depends on me therefore he says because i am like the screen name karmani limpanti actions do not um, taint me just as the villain the most villainous action in the movie does not taint the screen the screen does not get bad karma because of the nastiness of the villain the screen also does not get good karma because of the kindness of of the hero the screen is unaffected but remember the screen makes it possible makes the hero possible makes the villain possible like that i am nor have i any desire for any result of karma why not have any fear also why no fear and why why no desire no desire because i am unlimited value in the terminology i'm just using the value is not there in the karma nothing outside nothing can add to me as in terms of value or desirability and nothing can affect me so i'm not afraid of the consequence of any karma then he says iti mam yo abhijanati one this is crucial one who knows me in this way karma bhir nasabadhyate that person will not be affected by karma that person will not be affected by karma here is the crucial thing the beauty of advaita vedanta having said all this i am this unlimited being i am this unlimited consciousness i am this unlimited uh, value ananda now you see why i am not affected by karma though i am doing all karma so the problem here is not krishna problem is with arjuna Arjuna's problem was, should I do this karma or just become a sannyasi and go away? I don't want to fight this karma. 
I want to fight this battle. Krishna says, if you understand this, what I have just said to you, you will not be touched in by karma also, just like I, just like me. How? How? Because you are the same thing. What I am, you are also. Tattvamasi. You are unlimited being. You are unlimited awareness. You are unlimited value. You, not the body. Because you as consciousness. You are consciousness. You are nothing other than consciousness. And consciousness is nothing other than you. This is a very important equation. If you are consciousness, then you are not body, not mind. There are appearances and disappearances in consciousness. And not only that, if you are consciousness, consciousness is also you. There is no other consciousness except you. You the consciousness. No, no, this is Krishna. No, that Krishna is not other than you. There are these villains, Duryodhana and others. There are my brothers, Yudhishthira and Bhima and others. They are none other than you. Whatever is, is that one consciousness. If there is anything other than that, that must also be that one consciousness. So, therefore, when you realize this, when he says, Yo ma Abhijanath, who knows me like this, he will be free of karma. How do you, if I, if I know Krishna as this unlimited being, consciousness, value, ananda, uh, how will I become free? Because I am that. Aham Brahmasmi. Tattvamasi, that thou art. Therefore you will be free. Therefore the point is, his advice to Arjuna is, first of all you cannot escape from karma. If you run away also, you will um, continue karma. You go to Gangotri and sit and meditate there, you will also do some karma there. You cannot escape. That's your nature. Notice, in the, the caste system which Krishna talked about, Arjuna by quality is a Kshatriya, a warrior. His inner constitution is that of a warrior. And another point, his occupation is of, the, of a warrior because he's, he, is, uh, he is the commander of the army. He's one of the generals in the army. And by birth, Jati also. He is a warrior. He is born into a royal family. So, his very constitution will make him work. It will make him uh, active. Uh, so, you cannot escape from karma. And Krishna is saying, you need not try to escape from karma also. You cannot escape from karma. You need not try to escape from karma. Here I am showing you how you can do this entire activity and become enlightened. Okay. What else? Yeah, so this is a good point. Two people have asked questions. Jant? Maharaj? Yes. I've been puzzled by the creation of the universe. Like in the Old Testament, you know, God did all these things over six days, and then on the seventh day, he had a rest, hmm. or he took a rest. So it sounds like, you know, creating the universe is not effort-free. You, you talked about two aspects of work, both the, the fruit and the work itself. Now, in the Vedantic view, is God doing these things effortlessly, creating this dream or, or movie? You know, when a movie is made, it actually takes a great amount of work to make a movie. Yes. But God seems to do this movie effortlessly. Yes, absolutely. So in the Vedantic scheme of things, God created the Vedas, which from a Vedantic perspective is a much bigger job than creating the universe. So, and 
it says nishvasitam just like breathing in and out so the god breathed out the vedas as effortless as breathing out so god created this universe um in the mundaka upanishad it is said how does god create the universe brahman so god here would mean this pure being consciousness bliss or unlimited uh, existence unlimited consciousness and unlimited i'm using the word value uh, unlimited bliss with the power of maya is the creator of this universe so there's a famous verse in the mundaka upanishad um यथोर्णनाश्रीयते गृहते यथाक्षरावर्स issues forth now is it a movie or is it actual creation so it just comes forth how three examples are given one is just as the spider spins its web so the spider's web emerges from not from anything else but from itself so this points out what is technically called the material cause of the universe uh, in sanskrit upadana karanam the material from which the universe is made it's not that god is there and there is some free floating um, uh, matter left over with which god starts working and makes a universe that was one theory uh nyaya theory holds on to that that there is there is already space and there is free free floating atoms they actually use the word atoms and by the will of god these atoms come together to form planets and stars and people and all pretty sophisticated for imagine for thousands of years ago but no vedanta does not say that upanishads say that it's a projection from itself that ultimate being it projects from itself it is being it is awareness it is all value it projects a universe which also exists not not other than this being it is its own being which appears as the universe and uh, there is awareness because it is awareness itself and there see it seems to be valuable because it is value itself so but when it is projected in this way Uh, it is limited because it's not real it's a projection so the existence of the universe is a fractured temporary fleeting existence the awareness of the universe is scattered into limited little flashes of thoughts feelings awareness and the value in the universe is tiny bits of pleasure let us say the possibility of happiness scattered in the universe just like a spider it projects the universe from itself and b- brings it back now since the web is nothing other than the material of the spider's body similar the universe here though it seems to be made of dull dead insentient matter is nothing other than being consciousness bliss so it's only actually that only exists even when it appears to be a universe just as when it appears to be a world in the dreamer's mind all that exists is the dreamer's mind nothing else it appears to be building and places and so on and so forth you have to call it it's like a movie like a dream um the second example is used here is so uh, is it uh, a lot of effort it says no just like plants and uh, creepers and herbs they grow uh, effortlessly from the earth um 
ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಅ ಪೃಥಿವ್ಯಾಮ್ ಯಥಾಷಧಯ ಸಂಭವಂತಿ ಅರ್ಬ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಶ್ರಬ್ಸ್ ದೇ ಗ್ರೋ ಎಫರ್ಟ್ಲೆಸ್ಲಿ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದಿ ಅರ್ತ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಲೈಕ್ ದಿಸ್ ದಿ ಯೂನಿವರ್ಸ್ ಅಪಿಯರ್ಸ್ ಎಫರ್ಟ್ಲೆಸ್ಲಿ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮಣ್ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮಣ್ ಡಸ್ನ್ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಟು ಪುಟ್ ಇನ್ ಎನಿ ಎಫರ್ಟ್ ದೋ ದರ್ ಇಸ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಕಾಲ್ಡ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ದ ಕ್ರಿಯೇಟರ್ ಆಸ್ಪೆಕ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮಣ್ ಹೂ ಈಸ್ ವೆರಿ ಬಿಸಿ ಹೂ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಟು ಕನ್ಸ್ಟ್ರಕ್ಟ್ ದ ಎಂಟೈರ್ ಯೂನಿವರ್ಸ್ ಸೊ ದಟ್ಸ್ ವೈ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದೆನ್ ಅ ಕ್ವೆಶನ್ ಮೈಟ್ ಬಿ ಆಸ್ಕ್ ಸೊ ಈಸ್ ದ ಅಲ್ಟಿಮೇಟ್ ರಿಯಾಲಿಟಿ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಇನ್ಸೆಂಟಿಯಂಟ್ ಲೈಕ್ ದ ಅರ್ತ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ವಿಚ್ ಪ್ಲಾಂಟ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ಎಮರ್ಜಿಂಗ್ ಕೌಂಟೆಡ್ ಆಕ್ಟ್ ಸಚ್ ಅ ಸಚ್ ಅ ಡೌಟ್ ದ ಎಕ್ಸಾಂಪಲ್ ಇಸ್ ಗಿವನ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಲೈಕ್ ಹೇರ್ ಎಮರ್ಜಿಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಅ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಅ ಲಿವಿಂಗ್ ಬಾಡಿ ಸೊ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ನಾಟ್ ಅನ್ ಇನ್ಸೆಂಟಿಯಂಟ್ ಬಾಡಿ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಐ ಆಮ್ ಅ ಲಿವಿಂಗ್ ಬೀಯಿಂಗ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದಿಸ್ ದ ಹೇರ್ ಎಮರ್ಜಿಸ್ ಬಟ್ ದ ಹೇರ್ ಇಸ್ ಆ್ಯಕ್ಚುಲಿ ಡೆಡ್ ಆರ್ ದ ನೇಲ್ಸ್ ಎಮರ್ಜ್ ಆ್ಯಕ್ಚುಲಿ ಡೆಡ್ ಸೊ ಅನ್ ಇನ್ಸೆಂಟಿಯಂಟ್ ಯೂನಿವರ್ಸ್ ಎಮರ್ಜಿಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಕಾನ್ಶಿಯಸ್ನೆಸ್ ಆರ್ ಅಪಿಯರ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ಕಾನ್ಶಿಯಸ್ನೆಸ್ ಯೂನಿವರ್ಸ್ ಸಬ್ಜೆಕ್ಟ್ ಟು ಬರ್ತ್ ಕ್ರಿಯೇಷನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಕ್ಷನ್ ಬರ್ತ್ ಎಕ್ಸಿಸ್ಟೆನ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಕ್ಷನ್ ಅಪಿಯರ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ಅನ್ಲಿಮಿಟೆಡ್ ಎಕ್ಸಿಸ್ಟೆನ್ಸ್ ಯೂನಿವರ್ಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಎಂಟೈರ್ಲಿ ವ್ಯಾಲ್ಯೂಲೆಸ್ ಇನ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಅಪಿಯರ್ಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಅನ್ಲಿಮಿಟೆಡ್ ವ್ಯಾಲ್ಯೂ ದಿಸ್ ಇಸ್ ಪ್ರಾಬ್ಲಿ ಮೋರ್ ಇನ್ಫಾರ್ಮೇಶನ್ ದೆನ್ ಯು ಆಸ್ಟ್ ಫಾರ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಇಂಗ್ಲಿಷ್ ಇಂಡಲಾಜಿಸ್ಟ್ ಕಪಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಹಂಡ್ರೆಡ್ ಇಯರ್ಸ್ ಎಗೋ ಸಾ ಹಿ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸ್ಲೇಟೆಡ್ ದಿಸ್ ವರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಸೆಡ್ ದಟ್ ಏನ್ಷಿಯಂಟ್ ಹಿಂದೂಸ್ worshipped a giant spider <laughs> no they didn't it says yatha yatha means just like it's an example it's not they're not saying you have to go out and worship spiders yes uh gloria gloria uh, you are still muted can you unmute yourself hi yeah hello okay. Um, this is probably going to be a bit garbled because I'm not quite sure what I'm really asking. But as biological beings, we're all made up of single cells, like billions and billions of single cells. So at the base, most basic level, a single cell is compelled by desire and aversion. You know, like that's the basic mechanism. And so like, because we are composed of all this... these single cells which have that as their basic uh, drive, uh, can we really overcome that? I mean, it seems like an, <clears throat> an enormous force to overcome. Or is it like we don't need to overcome it, but there's a way of detaching our identity with it? Yes. I, what you're saying reminds me of uh, this time I, I read uh, um, Richard Dawkins' The Selfish Gene. so i was uh, really impressed by that book i loved it i mean it was very interesting and i'm i was touched by the appeal he makes at the end of it he says i am not saying that we have to be selfish i am not recommending selfishness i am saying just the opposite in fact we have to be especially children have to be taught unselfishness we have to be taught values because our body system our our biological system uh, has these drives which are basically uh, animalistic drives so and they might not at all be compatible with modern civilization so they have to be educated and directed a higher form of that education and direction is spirituality found in all religions of the world um, control and discipline of our biological powers of the body and the mental powers of the mind so that they can be directed towards enlightenment god realization so is it a battle not necessarily in in an even deeper sense than biology the whole game is one of expression of our divinity that 
We are all going towards enlightenment. So these bodies are there to help us. These minds are there to help us. Sometimes by obstructing us and pulling us in different directions, they do help us. We, we learn to overcome and command them as instruments uh, so that it takes us towards God-realization instead of embroiling us in biology and in matter. I have a question. Who is this? Who is this? Somebody disappeared. <laughs> Hello? Yes. Can you tell us? I your... have a question. Yes. What? Tell us your name? Vidya Dar. Yes. Uh, how does the life begin? How does life begin? Well, I mean, you should ask biologists that. Um, Notice no, from people from people have tried to make the life in a test tube. Yes, I have read it. Yes, but they are unable to constitute a living being out of a non-living. I don't. I don't know about that because um, I don't know about that because actually I heard a biologist, a scientist, who told me a couple of years back they have made tremendous progress towards that and they can sort of synthesize living matter uh, nowadays. I also read in Scientific America. There were people have been trying in a test tube, yeah. put all the things, and they were unable to make a life. Like a life will have a metabolism and reproduction. Yeah. But do, you, you do realize uh, you do realize that's a scientific question. How does at yeah. one at one at what point does life begin? Uh, that is something that science has to resolve. Um, they were unable to come to... Uh, I understand. You have to mute yourself now. Uh, I, I, I got the question. So, um, yeah. I have come across people who have said, for example, uh, Massimo, who is a philosopher and a biologist. So we had these discussions about consciousness. I used to go to this, but he, he ran something called a philosophy cafe. I'm sure it's moved online now. But earlier it was right here in the neighborhood, so I used to go and attend it. And... Uh, uh, so the discussion was about consciousness and the hard problem of consciousness. He said, he's of course a reductionist. He says it's a feature of biology. And he said exactly this question which he just asked, which the other just asked. He said that people used to think that life is a mystery and we will never understand life. And he said, now that is not true. We'll understand life down to the molecular level. Creating life, uh, that's, you have to ask a biologist whether it is uh, possible. I'm sure it is possible in principle. And I've actually heard of uh, people synthesizing living matter out of non-living matter. That's the limit of my knowledge. Um, yeah. Notice, from a Vedantic perspective, there's no problem. Even if you want to create life, life is an object or not. It is an objective process. So it's part of Maya. Uh, so from non-living matter to living matter, the transition is a matter of detail of scientific knowledge. If you find out, find out sometime, you'll be able to create uh, synthesized living bodies even maybe. Science fiction maybe now, but possible in the future. So, because it's an object, one object into another object. No problem, in principle. All right. Um, now, nobody else? All right. Let me just go ahead and do verse number. 14, 15, you have done 14, 15, 16 and 17. See, Krishna is now going to build up to the great 18th verse, which is uh, one of the pivotal verses of 
not only fourth chapter but of the entire Bhagavad Gita and in very mysterious, cryptic, paradoxical language. Um, so that's going to come. And now the next three verses are a build up to that. You can see a big announcement is coming now. It's an, an important thing. Why? The realization of our true nature, that is enlightenment. But as long as we are people in this body and mind and we are, we are located in a particular situation in society, we still have to live our lives. So how to bring to, bring to bear our enlightenment, our realization that we are this awareness, infinite awareness being, even if we realize it, how does it affect our day-to-day -day life? How can we make our lives blessed? That's the big question. That's like the million dollar question. So that's what Krishna is going to talk about. How to divinize our life. By karma he means our day-to-day -day activities. Our, our life in this, this world. So how to bring our Advaitic realization. And make it manifest in our day-to-day -day life. So that we will talk about in the 18th verse. Now big build up. Advertisement. 15, 16, 17. Evam gyatva kritam karma. Purvai rapimu mukshubhi, kuru karmai vatasmatvam, purvam purvataram kritam. So, thus knowing even the ancient seekers of liberation performed work of yore, therefore perform work alone done by the ancients. So here Krishna is saying it's not a new knowledge. I am not selling you something that is just I have invented just now. So you see, in Hinduism and in the Indian way of thought, old is gold. So everything has to be traced back. If it's genuine, it has to be traced back to the Vedas, to the Upanishads. If you say it's absolutely new, I remember this in Uttarakhand, one, one person came and said to a sadhu, Oh, my teacher has told me, my guru has told me such and such things, which are not found in any, any of her texts. And the sadhu replied, apne guru ko gali deta hai? Why are you abusing your guru? Why are you abusing your guru? So it's a term of abuse to say that my guru is being creative. So that's so startling to a western mindset because you have to be creative, you have to be new. Where in, uh, as far as spiritual knowledge or Vedanta is concerned or, or philosophy is concerned, you must connect it back to um, tradition, to lineage and see that this is a development of what I'm saying may sound new but it's basically a development of an ancient insight. So that's what Krishna is saying here. Know this this secret, and what is the secret? The details are to come in the 18th verse. Um, the, knowing this secret, ancients, your ancestors, did their duties. They lived life. They did not run off to Gangotri and meditate. They lived in life, and uh, you know they were your ancestors were kings, so they performed their duties, and they were engaged in action. And who were these? Not all kings, not all uh, princes. It is like you, Mumukshu, those who desire enlightenment, those who desire moksha. So Arjuna, what has happened now is, Arjuna was um, had come to fight the battle, then he had uh, qualms about it and he asks Krishna. Krishna teaches him about Vedanta. Now Arjuna is uh, interested in Vedanta. He wants to realize his true nature and be free. So he is now a Mumukshu, a person seeking enlight uh, enlightenment and freedom. Now, so Krishna is telling, giving him advice as a spiritual seeker. What about your life? What kind of life will you lead? Will you become a monk, which he wants to do, Arjuna? Or will you fight this battle? And he says, look at your ancestors. There were many others who were like you, spiritual seekers. 
and they did their duty, they performed action in life, they didn't run away. And they were spiritual seekers and they became enlightened. Therefore, Kuru Karmaivatvam, Tasmatvam. Therefore, you too follow their example. I'm not giving you examples because I am uh, an incarnation of God or I'm not giving you examples of uh, sages in the forest. I'm giving you examples of people like you who were spiritual seekers in ancient times. Purvai Purvataram Kritam. Just as the ancients have done in past times. Then Krishna says, 16th verse. So, Kim Karma Kim Akarmeti Kavayo api atra mohita tatte karma pravakshyami yad gyatva moksha se ashubhat. Even the wise are deluded as to what is action and what is inaction. I shall expound to you the action, that action, knowing which you will be free from all ills. So, why am I saying this? Krishna, why is Krishna teaching this? This is not a simple matter. The secret which I am going to reveal, again, 18th verse. Yeah, that, that karma, what is action, what is not action? Even wise people, kavaya, kavi literally means poet. But in the ancient times, kavi meant, uh, you know, um, they called kranta drashta. That means those who are far seers, who would see into uh, human destiny, who were very wise people, uh, sages, rishis. And in fact, in Upanishad, Brahman itself is called kavi, uh, the ultimate reality. So poets, take heart. <laughs> we have a glorious lineage of the greatest sages and ultimate reality is also called a, or called a poet. The ultimate reality is also called a poet. In fact, in the... Uh, I'll explain this, but let me just, before I forget, I was just reminded of a monk I saw it in Gangotri who uh, had lived there for 40-50 years in a little hut. So he was the sevak, the one who served a very great enlightened person um, who lived maybe 50 years ago, 50-60 years ago. And this monk whom I met in his old age, he was not very uh, scholarly. So, uh, so he asked his guru, his guru used to teach Vedanta, Upanishads, Gita, Shankara's commentary and all the other dis disciples who are all monks, they are very scholarly. So this young man at that time, 50-60 years ago, he asked his guru, what am I to do? I do the work of the ashram, the little uh, hermitage there. I do it seriously. I, I, I clean the place. I get things ready. I warm the, the food. So the monks used to beg for food and bring the begged food. And this person, this monk I met, he would warm it up and wait for the class to be over so that everybody could eat. He didn't understand much of the class because his Sanskrit was non-existent. He was not well-versed in logic and all of this. So he asked his guru, what do I do then? And he said, worship God with open eyes. His guru told him 50 years ago, half a century ago. And when this old man told me, his eyes were shining uh, with joy and tears when he re uh, related to me what his guru had said. Uh, I think quoting, quoting Kabir. Khule nain dekho sahab ko. With open eyes, see your Lord. Uh, Sahab means the Lord. With open eyes, see the Lord. Uh, and then he says, my guru spread his arms like this and showed the, that very place where we were sitting there. The panorama. It's a magnificent panorama. You can see towering, uh, the, the real giants, you know, soaring up 20,000 feet, 25,000 feet. 
um, with glaciers running down from the top. It was summer, so the whole place was still, I mean, there was no snow there. But the tops were, of course, always in snow. And uh, um, Devdar forests all around, and far below the uh, Ganga, a narrow stream rushing past. And his guru said, Pashya Devasya Kabdyam, Yunajiryate Namamara. Look upon the poetry of the Lord, uh, poetry of the Shining One. The poetry, what is the poetry? What is the poem? The universe, which neither ages nor dies. It is ever renewed. So this is an ever-changing universe, but it's ever renewed. The creativity of the Lord, the, that, the greatest of poets, is endless. Look upon the poetry of the Lord. Pashya Devasya Kabdyam. And over 50 years he has followed his guru's instructions. Uh, fulfilled. The old man was very fulfilled. I, I mean, I found him to be full of joy. I found him to be full of joy. The people around in the, ashram, in the locality, they were, warned me against him because he's supposed to have a very hot temper. And I got flashes of that also. But you have to put up with it. To get to the treasure, that's the soil you have to dig through to get to the buried treasure. It's what he does to drive away uh, casual visitors. So you get yelled at and scolded. And I had to put up with that. Then he really, really, he talked about his inner realizations and he shared these unforgettable. I would rush back to my little hut and as the sun set, upset absolute darkness so that I wouldn't forget what he had said. I would scribble it down. I had a book, so I'd, I would scribble it down the back cover of the book. I still, I bought it to the United States. Anyway, not relevant to today's uh, discussion. Kavaya, here it means the wise persons are also deluded about what is work and what is not work. That secret, Tate Karma Prabhakshyami, here karma means work, but that secret of work. I will tell you that. That secret even the wise people of ancient times did not understand. I will tell you that. By knowing which, Yadgyatva, Moksha se Ashubhat. Ashubhat means from the unholy, from the inauspicious. What is that? Samsara, from samsara. You will be freed from samsara by knowing that secret. Yadgyatva. Just you need to know that. Then 17th. Karmano hyapi bodhadhyam bodhadhyam cha vikarmanaha akarmanascha bodhadhyam gahana karmano gatihi. Very nice verse. Arjuna might think, so what is the meaning of the verse? There is something to know about action prescribed action. There is something to know about prohibited action and also about inaction. The way of action is mysterious. So, when he says there is a secret to know about action, wise people were confused. Arjuna might think, just like the rest of us, what's there to be confused about action? It's pretty simple. When you do something, when you walk around and use your hands and feet and you talk, uh, you're doing something. Even when you think, you're doing something. When you sit quietly, you're not doing something. When you're doing something that is action, karma, and you're not doing something that is a karma, inaction, what's the big deal here? So I'm, I'm saying this from Shankara's commentary. Shankaracharya introduces this verse in this way. So karma and akarma are, are, are very well known. What's the big deal here? And Krishna says, no, not at all. Uh, you would be surprised. What is action? What the action is again of prescribed and, um, and prohibited. Do's and don'ts. Both are actions. He says, vidhi, uh, vidhi means the things to be done. Vedas tell you to do this. And nishiddha, prohibited actions. The, the Vedas, the scriptures, they prohibit this. A good deal of religion 
preparatory religion, foundational religion is ethics, uh, the ethics of do's and don'ts. There is something to be understood about that. And there is something to be understood about non-action also. And mysterious, Gahana Karmanogati, mysterious indeed are the ways of action. Here, by action, just, just consider our entire lives, what we consider to be our waking life, whatever we do in life, uh, in, uh, personally, in your, with your families, in, in community, and at, in your careers, whatever we do, all of that is action. And there he says, there is a great mystery to be learned. So, how do you manifest your spiritual realization in day-to-day -day life? 18th verse, to come next time. All right. Um, let me look at the comments. Krishna is an actor, he's Saguna Brahman. He's always Saguna Brahman. A non-doer, he's Nirguna Brahman. He's always Nirguna Brahman. So, even when action is going on, has no reference to that. He is being itself. Uh, but when you consider the world and all individuals, then that same uh, being itself is the God of this world, the Lord of all individuals, Saguna Brahman. How does one work without the presence of desire? Ah, yes. So, remember, desire of different kinds. What is desire? One desire is Artha Kama Dharma. I want... Um, to accumulate wealth, I want pleasure, all the limited things that we want to fulfill ourselves. It's born of ignorance. We do not know our unfulfilled, our, our ever-fulfilled nature, our limitless nature. We do not know that. And therefore, out of that ignorance is born the desire to fulfill ourselves by objects. Objects just does not mean gadgets. It means everything in this universe. We do not know that. It is just like the, that story of the prince and the princess of Kashi trying to fulfill a desire for something that does not exist apart from him. So, this is why most that we act. This is the action prompted by desire. In Sanskrit, Sakama Karma. And this leads to Samsara. Some of it may be, as Krishna will uh, say that, some of it may be uh, good action, some of it may be bad action. Good action means permitted, moral action. There is nothing immoral about chasing pleasure. There is nothing immoral about earning money. There is nothing immoral about um, wanting achievement and greatness in this world, name and uh, fame in this world. There is nothing immoral at all about wanting to go to heaven after death. All of these are within ethics. These are all prescribed actions, but it must be within the limits of ethics. So, uh, accumulating wealth by unfair means, by stealing, bribing, no, that is immoral grabbing my you know, wealth or pleasure by hurting other people, depriving other people, that's immoral and so on. So, um, fulfilling your, your desires within the limits of dharma, it is called, they, they call it vidhi, prescribed action. Prescribed action will lead to you fulfilling your, your desires within the limits of dharma. Nishiddha, nishiddha means prohibited action. Prohibited action is Stealing and murder and lying, uh, they may lead to you fulfilling your desires, but they are prohibited. They are adharma. They lead to sin and to bad results, bad karma, which will ultimately lead to unhappiness. And prohibited action leads to punya, good karma, which ultimately leads to sukha, happiness. 
सो इन दिस वे वन कैन गेट हैप्पीनेस एंड अवॉइड एज मच अनहैप्पीनेस एज पॉसिबल मेट से परफेक्ट दिस इज वॉट शुड बी टॉट नो दिस इज वन ग्रेट ग्रेट डिफेक्ट इन ऑल ऑफ दिस द ग्रेट डिफेक्ट इट इट्स ऑल लिमिटेड इट्स ऑल अनफुलफिलिंग एंड इन द एंड एंड अल्टीमेटली इट्स ऑल फॉल्स इट्स एन अपियरेंस इट्स द मूवी इट्स द मूवी इट्स नॉट द स्क्रीन सो वन कैन गो ऑन लाइक दिस इफ यू वॉन्ट टू गो ऑन देन रिलीजन टेल्स यू अ सस्टेनेबल वे ऑफ गोइंग ऑन अ धार्मिक वे ऑफ गोइंग ऑन इन दिस लाइफ दिस लाइफ नेक्स्ट लाइफ नेक्स्ट लाइफ बेटर एंड बेटर लाइफ एंड दैट्स इट बट स्टिल लिमिटेड स्टिल अल्टीमेटली अनसेटिस्फाइंग स्टिल दे बी बर्थ दे बी ओल्ड एज डिजीज एंड डेथ एंड रीबर्थ दिस विल गो ऑन वी आर एट द नेक्स्ट लेवल वी आर मोमोक शूज ऑल ऑफ अस वी वॉन्ट टू गेट एनलाइटनमेंट सो दिस होल रेंज इज नॉट एट ऑल फॉर अस फॉर अस इज मोक्ष सो यू आर मोमोक्षु यू नॉट विदाउट डिजायर द डिजायर इज फॉर लिबरेशन मोमोक्षु लिटरली मीन्स वन हु वॉन्ट्स टू कैट द वर्ड वॉन्ट्स डिजायर्स फ्रीडम डिजायर्स गॉड सो आवर गोल आवर डिजायर इज गॉड रियलाइजेशन फिर हाउ कैन यू सी दैन बी आर विदाउट डिजायर दिस शुड नॉट बी काउंटेड अमाउंट श्री रामकृष्ण वॉज वेरी क्लियर ही गेव द एग्जाम्पल ट्राई टू ट्रांसलेट इन टू इंग्लिश मिचरी मिस्टीन मध्य नॉय सो शुगर कैंडी is not to be counted as a sweet the sweets produce uh, acid reflux and the sugar candy put in water and you drink it uh, it uh, reduces acidity so it kills acidity it's a roundabout way i mean in, in bengali it's much more direct so uh, what it means is the desire for god is not to be counted among other desires it destroys worldly desires it sets you free from the world worldly desires trap you more and more in the world if the desires are not regulated by ethics you are trapped in the world it becomes a hellish life if the desires are regulated by ethics then you have a good life here and hereafter heavenly life but again limited still worldly worldly and other worldly still world is there this world and next world world is there transmigration will go on and ultimately suffering will grow go on if you want to be totally free of limitations totally free of suffering you want truth you want the infinite you want god whatever language you use then you have to come out of this cycle of desire and fulfillment and fulfillment desire fulfillment again unfulfillment goes on you must go from the finite to the infinite that desire for the infinite is no desire at all it takes you out of this cycle of desire so a person has to be a realized person be freed from the actions of his karma not before that that is true In other words, only a jivan mukta can be freed from the results of one's karma. If that is true, that is true. Uh, yeah, and before being a jivan mukta, also, if one does karma as a worship of God, then also you are free. It will liberate you. It will take take you to liberation. All right. Next week, the real what has been advertised so far, eighteenth verse is going to come up next week. हरिओं तत्सत्मकृष्णारमस्तु